Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons. In this episode, we talk about tailoring your message for your intended audience. Something we know we're supposed to do, but also something that doesn't always happen. Along the way, we mention Dwight's speech, using PowerPoint to teach, and animation overreach. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 135, Target Audience, August 14th, 2017. So Adam... What form of communication do you use most often at work? Well, my personal preference is to walk over to people's desks and stand there and talk at them until they listen and do whatever I ask them to. Nice. I used to use smoke signals, but we're on a higher floor now at my new job, and the stairs are paying the ass, so I'm trying to find something else. Yeah, yeah, that's a problem. A lot of modern offices aren't real good with the the smoke signals. They're kind of low bandwidth. (sighs) I don't have a lot to say. I'm pretty, pretty lame. And I, I like to be succinct. Have you given semaphore flags a try? No, that just seems like cheating. <laughs> what, too easy? Yeah. You just get a different color flag or a different pattern flag, and it means something all new. But, you know, if you got to go hall cedar or cherry or oak or pine, you know, that, that changes the smoke signal. Ah. I hear the best way to make a, a statement is to write a message to a brick and throw it over a cube. <laughs> I think that's burglary school. <laughs> that's what home alone taught me anyways but i don't know however you choose to talk to your coworkers, whether face to face or uh you know writing emails via the other end of a brick yeah yeah, yeah. you know if you're lucky <laughs> yeah, enough to have them all in the office i guess you know you can call them too if if need be uh but uh yeah, if they're at arm's length, you got to do something else. And typically, you're going to be writing or maybe presenting. And that's what we're going to be talking about today uh, is how to give uh, an effective presentation and know your target audience. Because not all engineering is just blowing shit up in the lab or scribbling equations down during a montage to save the day at the last minute. Uh, a good deal of your time is spent writing and selling your ideas to others or explaining your position on something. Wait, I, I want to go back to to what part of engineering is blowing stuff up in the lab? Yeah, I don't get to do that. Well, that's because bridges are hard to make in the lab. <laughs> I've accidentally blown up lots of shit in the lab. <laughs> Tantalum capacitors smell different than uh, fets when they pop, so you got to learn the smells. Mm, is this the magic smoke smell? Uh, Yeah, but there's different kinds of magic smoke, different brands. Hmm. Yeah, tantalum smells like a conflict mineral <laughs> when it burns. Uh, it's been a while. I think they, the new tantalums don't burn. They uh they get rid of the oxygen. Yes. Inside hmm. the whatever the tantalum compound was. It was the leads, wasn't it? Was it carbon in the leads? They uh, still burn, they just don't burn well. This is a question for James from Kemet again. He can answer all of that. Yes. I, I took the course two years ago. I'm not expecting to remember anything. <laughs> Indeed. That just is an excuse so I can go back. I just wanted to make sure why I had missed out during my career on getting to blow stuff up. Funny, you're a mechanical engineer. You're working with high-powered well, motors and stuff. Something should have blown. Some dumb kid who didn't read the lab packet, too, as a teacher? Well, actually, when I was working for a company that made uh, transmissions, 
I do recall, this was early in my career, that we had a load cell, and it, it was basically a uh, electromagnetic brake that was applying, uh, you know, resisting the drive of, of the motor, the engine, through the transmission, and uh, somebody oversped that, and it broke loose and uh, drove a big chunk up through the ceiling, and so it went up, you know, like, I wasn't there, I don't know how high, but, I mean, the ceiling had to be at least 15 feet, went through the ceiling, <laughs> On the way up, and then came back down through the ceiling on the way back down. So that was probably an interesting uh, report to write uh, as to what went wrong and why you should fix it, how you should fix it. We all got to gather around down there and take a take a look. I can't remember whether we were all there for a safety briefing or being scolded for that. It ha- I can't exactly remember how that happened. It's been so many years ago, but <laughs> that's that's the close closest I ever saw to uh, something blowing up at work. General gawking. General gawking. Yeah. Well, that's. That happens on the road. Why shouldn't it happen in the office? Exactly. I only ever get to hear about things getting blown up, like uh, lawnmowers taking out um, um, lighting cabinets with uh, 240, 480 services, including the meter. So it's the the, the line from the utility. Wait, did, did somebody run over a meter with a lawnmower? It happens not super infrequently. I mean, not regularly, but it happens. Now, we're talking the big brush mowers. We're not talking like a, a little push mower or anything. Okay, because I was going to say that, that would be a surprise. <laughs> like to, for the person with the lawnmower, that like that might seriously wake them up in the morning. It, 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 it's still a surprise even with a big brush mower. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're not talking like little itty bitty cabinets either. We're talking, you know, four foot tall, you know, like three by two cabinets. It's tall enough grass. You can miss anything in there. And that's exactly what happens. How do we survive as a species, guys? I don't know. That's that's our yeah. next uh, episode. You guys are, are skipping ahead. We're talking about what was this writing today. <laughs> We're solving all the world's problems later. We got to get all that sweet sponsorship money first. All right. So I, I, what, I, what I, I think we need to jump to is all of this could be prevented with uh, PowerPoint, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Super duper PowerPoint. There's no other way to present communication or communicate things other than PowerPoint. Basically. You got to use the sweet animation where it sounds like you're typing and each letter comes up individually. With lots Mm -hmm. and lots of really small print on every slide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just in case someone needs to read it. Mm -hmm. And make sure everything bounces in and spins around a couple times. And uh, 20 slides per minute. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Uh... PowerPoint. Are you referring to one of my profs? <laughs> <laughs> you had one of those too? Yeah. Thought I'd talked about it on the show. Names will be withheld for to protect the innocent. Actually, the one I had like that didn't use PowerPoint. It was uh, actually transparencies. Ooh, that's a blast from the past. Okay, that takes skill. So were they trying to communicate technical things? I think they were technical. I really didn't collect much of it. It was not traffic engineering. And did they know? Did they know their intended audience? I kind of think not. Or did they know their intended audience, but they just didn't really care? <laughs> uh, could be the latter. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So, am I the only one who has given presentations to mixed company? I'm assuming not, but I think that's a good jumping-off point because. It's you know, not I the think 1950s anymore, Brian. Of course we have. <laughs> what, what, what's mixed company? Yeah. Well, since this is an engineering podcast, I'm referring to non-engineers. Oh, non-engineers. Uh, okay. Or like muggles. Uh, I'm trying to think. Sorry to any non-engineers listening, which I'm 
sure there are many. Um, you know, I know this show is hot with accountants based on our <laughs> yeah <laughs> our surveys. Uh, anyways, so I, a lot of if you're a junior engineer, I would imagine you'd spend most of your time if you're making presentations primarily to more senior engineers as kind of the engineer birthing process. But at some point, I would imagine most of us have transitioned to communicating to management and sales and uh, project management, program management kind of people. Or am I the only one? You know, and maybe I'm in a unique situation that there's really, in my industry, most of the management and, and others are from the engineering side. They're, they're engineers and still have a, a decent technical background even though they, they're doing more management duties and there is no marketing. Well, very little marketing. That's right. Civil engineering sells itself. What about you, Carmen? (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, mostly, mostly engineers. Um, marketing's hit or miss. I've, I found about maybe half of them have some sort of engineering background and some of them are coming in cold and then customers are a scattered bunch too. It could be you know, another power expert, or it could be someone who, you know, is a, uh, a thermal engineer or something and just got stuck doing the design and isn't over their head. Yeah. I, I guess I will take it back to a degree. We, I do get involved in presentations with the public with absolutely no knowledge of the industry to speak of. Or, you know, they drive, they vote, they pay taxes. And so they know more about it than I do. They know about, more about civil engineering. Well, sometimes there's that that mindset, it seems. So what we're driving at, basically, as we stumble along here and tell wonderful stories, is, uh, you know, you got to tailor your presentation or your report to the audience. Um, the way you write things for your boss is going to be different than how you'd write them for another engineer who is just isn't a subject matter expert like you are in that particular field versus someone who has never ever seen this material before in their lives um you got to handle everything differently yeah there's lots of things that a lot of us engineers like to use things that many would call jargon so to speak or you know other technical terms that the average person's either going to misinterpret or not understand yeah yeah in my experience i think i've alluded to it i i have to assume marketing doesn't know anything because about 50% of the marketing guys I deal with don't have engineering degrees. Um, so I have to treat them like they have no idea what the hell a buck regulator is or anything. You know, other engineers, I can assume they can maybe handle, you know, some basics that we all go through, like, you know, physics one type stuff and resistors and, you know, maybe general engineering slang, but not necessarily industry specific. And then subject matter experts, you know, you can just go whole hog with them and, Dive right into the deep end. So what's the motivation for engaging with these people? Are you typically informing them of a new product or a application of an existing product? Or are you troubleshooting a solution, uh, troubleshooting a customer or a stakeholder through an issue? It uh, depends on the day. It could be a little bit of all three. You know, they could be, and especially in my new role, it's a, slash hybrid marketing engineering job uh primarily engineering so troubleshooting design issues or uh you know trying to train them on new parts and how to design more efficiently but then also looking over their schematics and saying you know hey 
we also have a part for this uh, to replace that competitor socket there, and this is why you should go with us instead. So it's it's a mix of technical and s- not copywriting or sales writing, but something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I got to approach each presentation or document kind of like a technical design problem. You know, you know, if you're just doing a simple resistor divider, and uh, you don't always have to go into third and fourth order effects, you can just uh, eyeball it and call it a day and other times you know you really have to dive in and cover every little detail a customer may want to know about oh it's interesting it's something i've noticed when you're kind of parsing out the technical information you're kind of sliding across a scale from technical credibility to ambivalence and you have to put in enough technical information for the technical people who know what's going on in the meeting or in the discussion for them to believe you. And you can't put in so much and get so far in the weeds that everyone checks out. Yeah. And I guess that's why I bring up the mixed company. I've often found it, it's really easy when you're talking to bosses, you know, or sales, et cetera. But when you're in the meetings where the non-engineering stakeholders are roped into an engineering type meeting, usually when something's gone really wrong with respect to the project. Um, The most trouble I've had is communicating with people when we're trying to solve a technical problem with non-technical people in the room. Yeah, yeah, excluding something like presenting a journal paper where you're, you know, at at a conference, yeah. You do have to walk that line so that people take you seriously, but also you're not diving right into the weeds. Exactly. You almost don't want to give people too much room to ask questions because, at least in my experience, often in those kinds of meetings, anytime somebody has the ability to ask a question, they have ability to assign you work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of action items. I don't know. I, maybe I'm the only one who's experienced that. So if I, if I'm working with engineers and non-engineers, the nice thing to be able to do is to make a quick comment to the engineer mm-hmm. to keep them involved. You say something like, uh, the efficiency has got to be less than 90% here, right, Sally? You know, some comment that you acknowledge they have technical expertise and you're sort of sharing the inside baseball of that technical expertise, but you're immediately then going back to the bigger group and not making a deal of it. The, the problem is when you try to do that, and the other technical person sees this as their opportunity to show off their technical skills, and all of a sudden they immediately dive into the weeds, as you call it, uh, and and derail the conversation. Well, actually, the mesh analysis on that transformer indicates that something mechanical, mechanical, mechanical. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's 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 tough because if if as you said, if you open it up for questions you always have the the risk of somebody's going to to uh sort of derail the conversation on the other hand if they weren't prepared or able to contribute at at the same level as everybody else maybe there was a mistake made in in the invitation list possibly you know it, it's also interesting go ahead meeting management that's a skill in in and of itself being able to keep people on task and get what needs to be done in a meeting done yeah, I'm gonna have to do a crash course in this. Um, you know, I do all right for small scale meetings, but I'm gonna go on my first solo customer visits in the fall on an international trip, and 
I could tell you, but it's an undercover mission. So <laughs> that's about all I can say right now. But yeah, I'll be going in with some field engineers, but I'm going to have to be the, the marketing and the engineering guy. Why do I have a feeling you're going somewhere to fight Al-Qaeda? You never know, man. You never know. I can't <laughs> confirm or deny anything. Whether I'm some sort of secret Manchurian candidate or what, but uh, <laughs> yeah, just watch the news. So, uh, I mean, here's an interesting question. Why do you guys end up in meetings? I mean, and for me, it's I, I end up in meetings because somebody's trying to sell me something, which is probably 20% of the time. Something is going wrong, and I have to explain to all the stakeholders or something went right, and I have to explain to the stakeholders. The reason for the meeting is is generally to communicate technical information and to buy enough time for us to solve a problem or tell people that or convince people that we solved a problem. So it's a little bit different than, you know, an application type scenario whereby, you know, I kind of have to manage the manage the message. Is that something you guys experience a lot? You know, there's a little bit of that, but I'd say by and large, the meetings I end up in are, I have one piece of this project and there's these other people Mm -hmm. who have these other pieces of the project and there's this, this fringe area that overlaps and we get into meetings to resolve the fringe. So it's, it's a coordination type of meeting. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes it's maybe a little more than coordination. Sometimes we are ironing out technical details um, designed by committee. And then I also do end up in a lot of literal committees, um, writing standards or or things like that. Um, but that's kind of a, d- a different issue. But yeah, it, it's coordination and design meetings and actual okay, coordination. work is being performed. It's not just, hey, go to this meeting because there's a problem. Okay. Jeff, what about you? Yeah, I I mean part of it is is coordination, part of it is technical sharing, but I think uh, a certain for a lot of meetings I think you're just gathering the people there together to formalize the commitments. You know, if someone says, uh, "Hey Jeff, can you get this done?" That's one thing. When you're in a meeting with 12 other people and the the uh, vice president of engineering says, uh, "Jeff, you know, I need you to do this." You know, "Yes sir." "Yes ma'am." Uh, it has to be done within, you know, we need this in two weeks. Okay. There's just, there's just no way out of that. You've, you know, it's, it's not just between you and that person. It's not just verbal communication. It's not even just an email that, that the two of you are in on. I mean, I guess you can copy everybody in the department if you're trying to make sure everybody knows, but, but there's something about that verbal commitment you've made in front of everybody else that, uh, carries some real weight. So there's witnesses, uh, there's witnesses. <laughs> and Carmen, I think you'd indicated that most of your, Meetings and presentations are related to uh, sales, but uh, sales and technical information. Um, okay. Occasionally, you know, we'll have to sit in on when my boss or someone else reports quarterly numbers to the higher ups, um, trying to spin that narrative. And okay, we're down here, but relative to the company as a whole, we didn't go down as much, so we're still ahead and controlling that narrative there. Mm hmm. And you really are in marketing, aren't you? I, I, I'm an apps engineer who reports to a marketing guy, yeah. Yeah. Controlling the narrative. Yes. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of West Wing, and 
that's something I think every engineer should be doing at some level. Oh yeah, we we joke about marketing guys a lot on this podcast, but it's helped me. It was it's great to see the other side of things, and you know I get all this insight into all right. We didn't get this account. We did get this account. How do we spin it uh, in a, a way that makes us look good? Because we still need funding for next year and next quarter, and still need jobs. So we got to mm-hmm. convince these people to keep paying us. You know, this is what we learned from it. This is what we didn't. I mean, it, it's there's an intangible aspect to that, which drives really technically gifted people who are poor communicators nuts in that I've actually witnessed people who are right about a, partic- a particular issue and, you know, based purely on authority should have been the people believed in a meeting, but they weren't natural communicators. and their projects, not their work, because their work was always amazing, but like their projects suffered because they could never convince people. Um, yeah, yeah. Or they, or they could never command the kind of credibility you need. Yeah, for every one day I spend in the lab doing the stuff I enjoy the most, taking the data and running the tests, I have to spend another th- two days making it legible and displayed properly. Mm-hmm. Whether that's fiddling with margins or Excel graphs or rewriting something because I, I realized what the hell an awkward sentence that might be. <laughs> um, and that, that's definitely one of the things if you're putting together a PowerPoint or something, uh, is, is practice. I mean, you got to make sure you know the material cold. Um, I, I don't recognize or recommend winging things unless you've been doing it for years and years and are a pro and, you, you know, people <laughs> consider you an expert. Anytime this kind of conversation comes up, I always think of the Dwight speech episode of The Office. Oh, that was a good one. And if you haven't seen it, I can't recommend it enough. I think the speech alone is on YouTube, but um, oh, it's amazing. But uh, I mean, another observation I have on that is uh, engineers, particularly when talking to management and, um, you know, non-engineering stakeholders, sorry to keep using that term, we tend to highlight the limits of our knowledge. Let me say, I don't know if I'm getting too convoluted when I say that, but. As you're presenting something and you say, this is the efficiency as converter or whatever, uh, this is where I think my measurements failed, and you, you call it out yourself. Yes, yeah, because you want to be honest. Yeah. You want to be transparent and not overrepresent your your technical insight. Oh yeah, and, I suffer from that. Yeah, and the I, I think that's something a lot of engineers when they're first when they first get going and they first do their presentations, they you almost have to learn to be a bit more arrogant than you actually are, and recognize that you're not being arrogant; you're just being concise. Yeah, and that, that my new boss has helped me with that a lot too because. He hired me to be the technical expert. So in meetings and whatnot, it was I'm introduced to this is our Carmen. He's our expert. He'll help you out with any questions you have. I'm like, well, shit, I don't know. I'm just learning, man. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to be responsible for all this stuff. But I mean, you got to trust mm-hmm. yourself. And if asked, like, okay, how would you improve this? You have to be ready with that, but don't immediately call attention to any sort of flaws you have. Yes. But here's the problem: is that so much of engineering is 
you know, that gray area, you know, it, it is, you've designed a, a thing to last for 30,000 cycles. Uh, but you know that it could be depending upon the quality of the material and the manufacturing process and whether heat treat was right. And it could be 27,000 cycles. It could be 36, 30,000 cycles, you know, and so you get, you get cornered in the meeting is, well, well, Jeff, is this going to last 30,000 cycles? Well, what they all want to hear is, absolutely, it will last 30,000 cycles. And fail in 30,001. Right. And, and so as the engineer, you want to go, well, wait a minute. If you're asking me to make a promise that this thing will last 30,000, there is the chance, you know, albeit remote, there's, you know, a 17% chance it will fail at 29,000. And there will be, you know, some smaller amount that will happen at 28,000. And so I, I think that's where we get lost was we want to, we want, again, we want to be honest, but then all the flood of all this other information comes up and we just start spilling that and, and we, we lose our audience immediately. Or represent a lack of credibility. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because all they hear is, no, I can't guarantee it'll last 30,000 cycles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that helps knowing your audience too. If you're talking to a bunch of non-technical, uh, marketing guys whose job it is to sell this, all you have to say is, yes, it meets the, uh, something, something industry criteria that we designed to. Um, and, you know, if that says a failure rate of 5% of the time, then, okay, yeah, we meet it to this criteria. So 5% of the time we are allowed to fail. And if you're, yeah. But if you've been in a marketing, but if you've been in a meeting where you've, they've asked you, well, what's the 50%, what's the 50% failure rate? And you say 30,000 cycles and then marketing goes out and sells it as having a life expectancy of 30,000 cycles. Now, now, now you're stuck, right? <laughs> that, that one sounds like a little bit more, uh, over the head of just one guy. It seems like there should have been more people on that scope of the project, but not saying it doesn't happen, but yeah. But that's the point I'm trying to make is I, I think that. We've, we've had this conversation before that we as engineers get used to talking honestly and openly about the facts because we're arguing on the facts. We, we pretty much agree on the equations uh, yeah. or the methodology. And so we're arguing, well, is this material better or worse? I don't know. Show me the data. Is this, is this uh, process better or worse? Let's show the data. Uh, then we can, we, you know, we can discuss it. Uh, but that's not, I think, how a lot of the rest of the world operates. Yeah, and that, that's where practice comes back into it because even if you are talking to subject matter experts, um, it still takes time to crunch the data. You know, if you did a lot of uh, finite element analysis or something on your structure, I don't know any anybody who can just crank that out in their head real fast and double check your numbers. So you have to practice and anticipate questions that someone may ask. If you have your big graph that says, boom, guaranteed to 30,000 cycles, um, you know, have uh, top two or three maybe uh, objections to that ready to go and don't sound like a robot like, well, you know, read off your cue cards right away, but right, be able to anticipate those questions and have an answer goes a long way to giving a good presentation and sounding confident. Mm -hmm. The worst meetings in my mind are the ones where you're status updating a problem and, again, non-engineering stakeholders, you are trying to describe experimental behavior, like designing experiments, explaining how you're testing a hypothesis to people who want a result. So are we going to have the problem by the end of the, solved by the end of the week? You know, and it'll immediately jump to that. It'll, it'll get to deliverables when you are, you are trying to do science. Mm -hmm. And I have found the 
biggest challenges are to go into those meetings and try to actually talk science. Um, I've, I've been in those meetings where like people have been, you know, disinvited or, where, you know, where you have an enlightened individual at, uh, you know, in upper management who realizes that the sales team no longer needs to be involved in these meetings <laughs> because like they're, they're hammering on milestones and deliverables when you're, you know, trying to figure out what weird combination torches your 10 ohm capacitors. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So I think that gets to something Carmen was saying. You do have to manage a narrative. You have to tell a story. Yes. And you're not lying, but you do have to at least you you have to convince people of your your ability to solve a problem honestly and where you're going with it and your likelihood of success and simultaneously convince them that it's not a given that you're going to be able to solve the problem but you're the person that should be trusted to do it yeah and i that this goes just for not practicing engineers as well um I just had a friend do his PhD defense a couple months ago, and a big thing was the narrative uh, to his committee. You know, mm-hmm. I I solved this problem. Like, okay, there may have been a few things that weren't perfect, but I did this work. I stand by it. This is the key takeaway from it, and I deserve my doctorate because of it. You know, a little bit different than please buy this widget. <laughs> and won't you have a bunch of very credible and talented people then try to tear you apart yes but at that point he's been working with his committee and knew it was knew what to expect because he was practicing and working with them the whole way through the process got them involved as they needed to nobody really showed up to the committee uh you know the defense two days before having not read his paper so (laughs) jeez usually an asset yes yes Again, it's hard to believe that you'd go through these years of work on your PhD, but it does happen where you have, you know, you have all these results, you have all the data, and now what, what does it boil down to? Your ability to argue what that data means. So now, isn't a defense really more of a formality? I mean, you could completely bomb it and, and not, not pass it, but. So it should be, right? So I can only speak to my PhD work. I don't. I assume it's very similar at other universities, but you know, you, you apply for the, uh, for the program, you get into the program. Usually there are qualifying exams within the first several semesters to say, Hey, are you serious about this? Have you boned up on all the, you know, on all the math and physics and whatever you should have learned as an undergrad? Uh, are you really prepared to undertake a, a PhD program? So once you pass that, then your next big goal is to find an area of research. Uh, get going with that, and then you do your preliminary defense. Uh, and so your preliminary defense is basically saying to your to your committee, here is the a meaty part of the work that I'm doing in the area that I'm going, and I think I see the finish line. And so uh, at least the university where I, I did my grad work, you cannot do your prelim any more than a year ahead of your final defense, or you can't do your final defense any sooner than a year after you've done your preliminary defense. And so the- Sounds about right. The real work there is that at your preliminary defense, you should be discussing with the committee, this is what I have done, and this is what I'm going to do in the next 12 months. I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this, and when I've done all that, I'm done. Do we, you know, are we agreed on that? 
And so if all, if all goes well, you agree on that, you walk out and it gets done. If it doesn't go well, then the, the results you start getting as you do your work post preliminary defense don't agree with where everybody thought it was going to go. And now you have new problems to undercover. And sometimes it takes a bit longer to uh, get it all sorted out. So what I'm hearing Jeff say is if you fail your defense, it's your advisor's fault. Yeah, your your advisor should not allow you to defend if you're not ready to defend. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. That was uh, very much the way my my master's program worked. You, your advisor basically told you when you were ready to defend. I mean, you could say, "Hey, you know, here's kind of what I'm thinking about it," but no, they told you when to do it. Mm, I didn't get quite that. I might have gotten encouragement, but no one ever said to me, "You're ready." <laughs> I I had to go and say. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> no, let's it, do this. It, 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 it wasn't so much a you're ready. It's more of a get it scheduled. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we were talking about preparation a lot. And unfortunately, the damn website uh, is down. I'm getting a HTTP 503 error or 500 error. So it's not my fault. Um, from from whose website? Uh, this one I found doing show notes. Uh, oh, okay. Not not the not the magnificent the engineering commons. No, no, that site's website. like a rock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, this one here had a lot of good information about uh, trying to put yourself in your audience shoes and uh, consider what they might want to know and how to to read from them. And it gave perspective of if you're presenting to subject matter experts or students or teachers, you know, because they may have a different uh, thought process and set of expectations for something. And just had a couple common questions for each one that I thought was pretty useful, uh, but it's not working. So we'll just link to it and you guys can read it. So so let me ask you this, Carmen. This advice is not new. I mean, if you graduated from high school, from uh, from elementary school, right? You, you've heard this stuff about making presentations and you should tailor your, your communications for your audience and you should prepare for the meeting. You should be – everybody hears this. So why is it that so few people do it and there are so many bad meetings and so many bad presentations? Uh, I mean part of it might just be workplace culture. I mean if everybody can just call meetings willy-nilly and you got to show up and bumble through because according to you, your calendar had lunch time to the end of the day free. Um, <laughs> you know, you're not really going to get the best quality out of people. So it's part of its workplace culture. You know, if you're not expecting the best out of people and you're not treating these meetings like they're something that you should be preparing for, then you're not going to. Right. Um, also, I mean, this this is kind of beaten out of you a little bit with co-ops and stuff throughout school. But I'm trying to think. I think I only had, not counting any sort of big, big grad work, uh, a couple of projects where the presentation really mattered for school and you had to sell people on anything. It was more write your lab report and make sure you checked off these boxes that the teacher wanted to see, include this scope shot, include the intro, the conclusion. And, you know, it it wasn't really a presentation. So it just becomes a skill you're rusty at then. You know, and I I think that most of the the presentations and, and such, at least that I had to do through school really didn't have much, analog to most of the communication in, in the real world, at least as I see it. I mean, yes. No, it was very different. Yeah, we do formal presentations on occasion, but a formal presentation of, okay, you're going to go in front of the class and talk for five minutes and you're on a timer um, and you're going to talk about a topic and you're trying to convince us, you know, sell something or whatever, and you've got five minutes to do it, go. 
that's not generally reality, especially for engineers. Yeah, because there's another group waiting to go behind you and before you. And if there's a class participation aspect to your grade, well, everybody's in this together. They just, as long as you weren't totally terrible, the class is going to grade you well. And Well, and generally everyone else there isn't really interested in being there. Um, yeah. Which is generally different. That one could be an, an, an analogous to at least my industry. You know, there's, there's been times you'll have a dozen people in the room during a, a marketing pitch as we're trying to sell people our parts and only half of them really care. Yeah. They're there for the, the donuts or whatever you guys bring. Yeah. The swag. <laughs> and I, you know, I've been that guy too on the other end is inductor vendors or something come through and I say, well, this is the type of stuff I'm working on. And they say, okay. And then they talk to totally different parts and I'm like, well, it's time to look at some emails. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would say by and large, at least in my experience, most professional meetings, people are at least somewhat interested or at least engaged or should be engaged. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like a school class where they're there because they need to be there to get a passing grade. You literally have a captive audience. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's at least my school presentations. No, I wasn't ever selling anything. You know, my ability to present affected my grade, but, it wasn't going to change the content of the course or what anybody else did next. It was reporting on, you know, here's my group's lab results. Check, check, check. They're the same results everybody else got. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, once I got to work and it was, well, here's the validation results for the new IC. Uh, this didn't seem to work right or this stood out to me. And what did you guys design for? Oh, well, we decided to do something different. Let's uh, figure out why. And okay, I'm affecting the course of something. And the preparation for a professional meeting is, is very different. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, S something more than just a 15 minute status update. Well, and even those, it, it, it's something you're actively engaged in. You know, mm -hmm. a school class, you're probably a week, maybe two into something. And then you're on to the next topic and the next topic. Well, most work topics, if it's a, a true presentation, you've been engaged for months and you know this topic very, very well, or, um, or they're, a, they are a quicker status update. But I think in general, most people can speak much more, um, quickly about it. It's not something you need to sit down and write notes necessarily and do some research to figure out the answer to things. Um, yeah, although I would recommend that in the beginning because you can easily get in over your head if you just try to wing it. Oh, yes. And, and wing first. it and, and do research are two different things. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, in status meetings, like that, like what Adam's describing, I often find it's something that you are so immersed in that doesn't it doesn't – you're describing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. you know, but that, that's also, yeah, you're talking to your team that is all, you know, living and breathing it with you. Um, yes. Yeah. If you're if you're giving a presentation, like I'll have to go and try and sell these customers overseas on our parts and why we need to, uh, you know, why they should switch to us instead of our competitors and whatnot. And I'm gonna work my ass off for the next few months trying to know this stuff down pat and whatnot because the last thing I want to do is just try to wing it with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it, it's not likely you're gonna get told. Um, all right, next week give a presentation to your team on MOSFETs? Uh, 
you know. Actually, and, and so, I, sometimes that does happen in this new role. Okay. Um, which that I'll, uh, so I work on multi-phase buck converters now quite a bit and I, I get bored doing some designs with them because for me it's become routine, but a lot of people don't really use them. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll try and make it work with a single phase or they're just totally new to it or, you know, what have you. Um, they don't know how to tell one solution apart from another, why, There'd be pros and cons. So way back when I started a year ago, my boss was like, put together uh, training for the field because if you do cover power in school or whatever, um, multi-phase power isn't really something that's ever really more than highlighted unless you go to a couple select schools and then you have to focus in it. Um, so he's like, just put together a basics webinar and we'll give it to the field. So I had to give it to the field. Then I turned it into an app note. Then I just shot some videos on it, actually, which will be coming out soon. Um, so at this point, I can kind of wing it. But especially in the beginning, man, I ran through so many dry runs because uh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> okay, And that was maybe a, a, a bad example because that's an area you do have a technical background in. Yeah, but even though I have a technical background, I couldn't just wing it. It took a lot of preparation uh, to get where I could speak confidently, even though I knew I knew it. You know, if someone said, hey, Carmen, go do this, I'll do it all day long. But, hey, Carmen, explain to somebody how to do it. <laughs> but as we've established, you're also a marketer now. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just because I have some of those duties. I, I don't touch any of the, the financial numbers or whatnot. I'm only very tangentially related to that. Well, so how much of it is uh, – I, again, I come back to this – We've all heard that you should, you know, tailor your communications to your audience, but it doesn't always happen. And so let me ask how much of it is the work that is obviously to do this. You have to put in a lot of work to know your audience, to figure out what their interests might be, to understand them, to tailor your communications. You do a lot of stuff that may never come up in the meeting. You know, if the meeting goes one way, you want to be prepared for that. If it goes a different way, you want to be prepared for that. So that's a lot of work. And how much of it is fear that is, uh, I'm, I've been asked to speak to a group that's in, you know, non-engineers, sales, uh, operations, and you want to, you want to empathize with them, but you open with, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you all understand that, uh, uh, the use of this, uh, you know, this piece of equipment will, uh, slow our operations because of so and, uh, you know, so and so. And somebody in the meeting said, well, no, that's all wrong. We've, we've done that in the past and it works just fine. You know, you, there's, there's the fear that if you, if you spend your, if you step it all outside of your, your bound of just what you know, technically, cause it's your life. If you step out of that side of that, you risk being embarrassed or humiliated by some question or some, some turn of events or some comment from the audience as a result of you're trying to empathize with them and, and share with them. Um, what, what do you think? Is it, is it, is it the work? Is it the fear? Is it something completely different? It's a good question. I feel like that audience member is pretty douchey. <laughs> if you're jumping in on the first <laughs> slide, it, it happens. Everything. I've been fortunate enough not to have it happen, but oh man, I don't know what I would do. I would say usually when I have those happen, it's a professor. <laughs> <laughs> someone trying to get your goat. Yeah. Or, or, or someone who, who is so much in the theoretical that sometimes they lose sight of the practical. Yeah. 
yeah, getting back to controlling the narrative, um, you know, there's a, another link I got here we'll put in the show notes, uh, presentation tips for engineers or whatever. And the big one is, is just summarize is don't open yourself up for avenues of attack. If you're trying to give this presentation, you know, don't show your thousand megabyte, uh, spreadsheet table or every single data point on the graph, show the, uh, you know, the relevant data and smooth it out. So you see trends and, you know, if you're trying to say we saw a 10% increase, you know, maybe get rid of some of the noise on the graph or whatever, and then tell the audience they can ask you for the full data set after if they'd like to see everything you did. But this is the big takeaway from what you've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd say along those lines, it's really important not to limit yourself to the chronological narrative. Yeah. Uh, we, we as engineers, want to include everything and we want to include everything from the beginning. And so when somebody asks us for a status update, we want to go, well, on day one, we did this and day two, we did this and we go chronologically step by step by step, which is, is thorough, but often boring, uh, for the audience. It's, it's, uh, usually a much better idea unless you're, you know, testifying somewhere where they insist on it, uh, to try to summarize, as you said, Carmen, uh, summarize the information, put the highlights in a way that's easily understood, not, in in a in a in an order that's chronological yeah and i similar uh when i was turning my my recent app note into a video script um i started including everything you know from the app note into the into the video and then after sending a draft script over to people who had had to shoot these things and whatnot like this is a lot of content i went through and i was like do i really need to talk about that like we're already showing like if you want to learn more jump to the app note and you had to cut a lot of stuff because man, <laughs> it just wasn't going to be interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like you may have had a little bit of, um, coaching as you're putting your videos together. Um, a little bit. Uh, I was, you know, they kind of leaned on me because I was the subject matter expert. So they're like, you know, the relevant stuff to talk about, but in our experience, this is what we've seen work and not work. And, so I, I took that and applied it to what I was trying to talk about. And, uh, you know, geez, I've seen some rough cuts. Man, video is a lot different than podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's a lot of things I'll do very differently next time. Yeah. Um, I was going to say coaching is a, a another good tool. And I found that to be effective and I've observed it to be effective. Um, like at my office, we have. Uh, a, a group of people who are mostly former either TV news or pay newspaper people, mm -hmm. not technical. They're there to help us talk better. Um, whether it be, and, and they also act as a, 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 a intermediary between us and some of the, like the newspapers. But, you know, if we need to go on TV or, or to a public meeting, they'll work with us to, to make sure we're saying things, you know, not too engineering, so to speak, <laughs> you know, um, you, you know, some of those, the, 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 there's things, you know, we want to be precise and it's like, well, yeah, but you know, is there some in, in suggesting ways to, to rephrase things so that they're not misconstrued by the general public? Well, that's a sweet resource to have. I don't oh, have anything like that. <laughs> it, it, it is awesome. Um, but yeah, and if, and if you ever have an opportunity to find someone like that who, who's a pretty good communicator and not, not technical, these people are not technical, 
they've got into the point technical in the art of communicating they they are and they've got into the point they they understand our jargon Mm -hmm. um they ask questions they're not afraid to ask questions but um they'll definitely if you can find that non-technical person to help be an audience and coach uh, and it doesn't you know whether it be a marketer uh, especially if you're, you know, I can't imagine marketing having a problem helping somebody try to help their customers. Um, not that yeah. I've worked in a place with marketing, but, you know, talking to one of those non-technical people and, and seeking their feedback on how to communicate better to the non-technical people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, authored this video script, does that mean you're going to be eligible for a uh, a screenwriting Emmy next year, Carmen? I certainly am going to submit it. Yeah. <laughs> no, man, make it a video script and you can't really change anything. Like I saw the cut and I'm like, Oh Jesus. Like I wanted to fix that and this and the other thing. And that most of them I'm, I was already told they're like, you're, you're nitpicking here. Like we're not gonna don't sweat that stuff. But in my head, cause I had this big idealized version of what I wanted. And it was going to be the greatest thing ever. And, uh, it still came out really good. I'm I'm proud of it. I stand by it. I'm not making it seem like I wasted anyone's time here if they watch it. But, whoo boy, I'm not used to seeing myself on camera. Well, if you want, you can send me a link and I'll tell you it's terrible. Okay. Yeah. If you, if you, if you think doing the podcast is weird and hearing your own voice and getting used to that, I'm over that now. I've been doing this, what, four or five years, something like that, whatever. Um, yeah. God, as soon as I saw myself on the video, it was I was all the way back at episode twenty six. Like, oh my god, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> but I will not be doing the weekly video series. Uh, but it was cool. It was definitely nice. Uh, Ti's got a whole video studio, and you can go shoot videos there. Hmm. So there's there's people who know what they're doing with cameras and teleprompters and audio mixing and stuff. That was cool. Learned a lot from those guys. Yeah. So what about you, Brian? Any uh, any technology beyond PowerPoint that you've ever used in your communications with others? Um, I've logged into customers' computers and you know trained them and helped troubleshoot technical issues. Uh, but PowerPoint's actually, sadly, been one of the primary tools for communicating. Yeah. Yeah, that that's one of the problems with it, right? It's it's uh you you don't know whether it is a presentation document because it oftentimes gets copied afterwards and sent out as though it's the written document. And so yes. you're writing a PowerPoint, you never know am I am I doing this for the presentation, in which case you should have few words, you should have lots of images. You know, I I get a little mi- too minimalist where if I'm doing a non-technical thing, I you know, I'll have like one or two words on the slide, you know. I I'm not I don't have a dozen bullet points because I want them to listen to me. I'm the speaker. Mm-hmm. If I wanted them to read it, I would give it, I will hand it to them. And they can read it later. But in, if, if there's a presentation, I'm trying to tell a story. I'm trying to share an idea. I want them listening to me, not reading the, uh, the slide, the, the, you know, the slide should be there to augment what I'm saying, not to replace what I'm saying. And this is for everyone listening. Please do this in PowerPoint. There is a notes field. That's where you put all the information you want people to read, not on the slide. <laughs> and then when they, when they get it, I mean, th- then it gives you that opportunity to, to read it. Or if, Hey, there was this great presentation. I have it on this flash drive from this conference I went to. 
you know, Joe in the office here, look at this. They can not just mm-hmm. see the bullet points and have to figure out what you were talking about. You know, they can read the, the, the description and see the, the pictures as well. Yes. And, and do not read a PowerPoint is not a script. No, you know, do not get up there and recite your PowerPoint script. Yeah. That's the preparation and the practice and the, yeah, knowing your stuff down cold. So you don't have to read right off the slide and put too much on there. And I I found some pretty decent links. There's a, a good one actually from the electrical engineering department of, uh, the university of Wisconsin at Madison. And it, we'll put the link. It downloads the PowerPoint file, and they they did an, an example bad PowerPoint to teach you how to do a good one. And it was is kind of funny. And it was useful. <laughs> yeah, nice one. Uh, you know, don't don't include pages and pages or slides and slides of uh, math because very few people are going to go through and check that and be able to follow it as you're trying to present. Um, you know, put in the key equations and then cut everything else out or throw it in an appendix and say it's available afterwards if you want to really dive into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm, I guess I'm guilty of that in a lot of my uh, presentations for class, right? I'm teaching engineering yeah. theory. I do have a lot of equations. Yeah. I guess that's different. We, we should talk to that. I mean, you're, you're a teacher there, Jeff, you, the, doing the derivation is the whole point of a lecture possibly. So in that case you would want to maybe not put it all on one slide, but space it out. How do you, how do you deal with it? How do I deal with which? Uh, I mean, just as a teacher, you know, your audience is students who you know are seeing thermodynamics or mechatronics or whatever for the first time. You know, how how has your presentation style changed at all? You know, do you know stuff down pat where you can wing it or do you try to always feel the room and know when to elaborate on a certain point because every class is different? Um, so this is... Uh, it may be surprising. I guess it was surprising to me as I thought after I taught a course a couple times, I would have it down. But, you know, even if I have notes from a previous semester where I'm not having to, you know, develop them completely from scratch, I'll go through it, you know, slide after slide and I'll look at it and say, does this make sense? Am I presenting it in the right order? Yes, I introduced, you know, a, a, a certain concept here, but should I have presented it earlier? Is there a different way to describe it instead of describing it words should, could it better be done with a photo or uh, a video uh is it important at all should i be you know how does it relate to stuff we've done before mm-hmm. and so i've got with all that in the mind then i'll go slide by slide by slide and say okay here's in the slide yes here is the equation everybody can read the equation so what is the comment i want to make about uh, newton's law you know f equals ma or so okay yes i can say force and mass and acceleration but what is the, what is the emphasis that here i want to do i am i talking about uh, what the equation means or how the equation is used and what am i doing in this slide that's going to transition into what i'm talking about in the next slide and so it's a matter of uh truly a a 50 minute lecture even if i have slides i will spend three or four hours going through it slide by slide by slide. Sometimes I'm checking equations. Sometimes I'm uh, rearranging how how it's ordered. Sometimes I'm changing graphics uh, to make it easier to understand. At least I'm trying to make it easier to understand. But it's, it's a matter of a good amount of time trying to get prepared for the upcoming lecture, even if I have the, you know, the raw material in front of me. I would say you're one of the better ones if you're always looking to evolve. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, the, your classes sound pretty well prepared. Well prepared, I usually am. Uh, whether they're effective in communicating the ideas, I don't know. 
You know, you were talking earlier about having a captive audience, and I do have a captive audience, I suppose, uh, although they don't, you know, they don't have to come, mm-hmm. and not all of them do. Uh, and I have a few that uh, decide to doze off in the middle, and I, I understand that, you know, control theory is, that's what I'm teaching right now, is not always the most exciting stuff in the world. But I find it interesting, right? This this is stuff that is is useful, and even if it is not useful, it is a an integrated theory. You know, it makes sense. You can, uh, it's mathematical in nature. It has physical application. You know, it's, it's an interesting, at least to me, it's an interesting subject. And so I try to share with the students why I find it interesting. So, so I suppose to that extent, I am, I'm interested in the material. I like teaching it. So I guess, I guess that gives me a leg up on, on other instructors. I've had a few that didn't seem quite as interested in, in what they were telling me. All right. Well, we're closing in on the hour mark here. Does anyone have anything else they'd like to add for our wonderful listeners that they should know before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I've got one thing that uh, I think I'll add. We were talking earlier about the the difficulty with PowerPoint and, you know, is it a presentation? Is it a document? Uh, What are you supposed to do with it? And there is an author, uh, Nancy Duarte, I'm going to guess D-U-A-R-T-E, who wrote a book called Slideology has some good advice about giving presentations. Uh, but, uh, her group or her company, uh, also came up with this idea of slide docs, uh, which were basically documents, uh, designed to be read and referenced after the meeting, as opposed to projected or presented during the meeting. Uh, and so the idea is that, you know, somewhere between a, a, an official document, you know, written report, and the sparser presentation where you're, you're just trying to tell the story that you have a, what they call a slide doc, basically, you know, a, a middle ground where you, you've, it's not as, it's not as rigorous. It's not as formal as a document, but it can be referenced for information later on. Mm-hmm. Now, this of course means you have to spend the time of not only doing your presentation, but also writing the slide doc. But, uh, if, if you're interested, there's a, there's a website, uh, I think it's even like slidedocs.com or something like that. And uh, I'll, I'll find a show note or I'll find a link and put it in the, uh, the show notes. Yeah. Slide doc. If you Google slide docs, it's the first hit. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. I'll check this out. I normally try to put all that stuff in the notes section of PowerPoint so people can just print the whole thing out, but uh, there might be something good here. Maybe I'll learn something. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. All right. Well, thank you guys for signing on with me tonight. Hopefully we cover something that will be helpful to our listeners. We didn't just uh, confuse them with random stories. (laughs) Everybody loves a story. True. (laughs) All right. Well, until next time then, guys, take it easy. All right. Take care. Have a great evening. Bye. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson.